Ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. In our second week of our message series entitled More, and if you were here last week, we talked about this series is all about discovering that more abundant life in Christ. Last week, uh, we talked about how that just like a baseball bat has a sweet spot uh, to hit the ball, that God has designed us so that when we are uh, accepting his call to follow his son, but also as we're learning how to serve within our unique gifts and abilities and personality, that we can really find that sweet spot of life and and experience more of what God has in store for us. So as we introduced last week, uh, we talked about that. Now, it's hard not to have baseball illustrations, you know, this time of year. I love this time of year, and uh, I'm watching more baseball games now than I did during the season. Uh, because my team, the Reds, didn't do very well uh, this year, and uh, I kind of, kind of boycotted them in some ways. But, uh, but I am now falling in the playoffs. Players that used to play for the Reds. Okay, so that's how I'm enjoying uh, the playoffs, and I'm rooting for the Cubs. You got to root for the Cubs. That's uh, been a long time since they've been to the World Series. But we're not here to talk about who we're following in terms of the sports world. We're talking here today to talk about who we are following, and that's Jesus Christ. And as a faith community, our basic identity is wrapped up in each of us being the follower, being a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to be emphasizing the be aspect of the be, do, and go this weekend. Now, two weeks ago, uh, when we reviewed our mission statement as a church, and our mission statement is that we're a church that's serious about following Jesus and making disciples. Uh, During that message, we revisited our understanding of that term disciple. And we looked at how the definition can be found in the initial invitation that Jesus gave to those first few followers that he called and became his band of of disciples. And and we later call those first ones uh, apostles. Uh, But in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19, we see this initial invitation when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about how there's the head aspect of making the decision to follow Jesus. We talked about the heart and being willing to allow Jesus to make us new and make us uh, different. And, uh, And then the hands on is to become Uh, fishers of people. Well, this week, we're going to see that this basic definition of a disciple, uh, we see that play into our core identity of those who claim to follow Jesus, both with their head, their heart, and their hands. When you and I think of our core identity, it's our basic essence of who we are and what motivates us uh, and compels us of what we do, and that stems and grows out of faith decisions we've made in our life. And to help illustrate that, I'm excited to share with you this week a video we have of a very special couple here at Southwest that recently made a decision, uh, decisions of faith, 
and the impact that those decisions of faith have had on their life and even their marriage. So if you could listen to this. Jesus, light of heaven, lover of the lost. I wanted to become a member of the church when, when Julie could become a member of the church. And she'll talk about those circumstances here in, in a minute. But uh, that, was, that was very important to me that we became members of the, of the church together. I was raised and baptized in a Catholic church. It was really hard for me to get past that fact of thinking, well, I've already been baptized. Jesus. I felt like I wasn't good enough to be a member of the church. Um, I wasn't worthy of being a member of this church or any church. I, I guess I just didn't understand um, a lot of the scripture and what it meant and how it, it was to how I was to 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 go out and do and be and how supportive everyone in this church family has been and uh, I think what finally sealed it for me was the support that Julie and I received when Julie was baptized everyone was so inviting um, our small group I I, I Love them to death. They were so supportive to me and to Tim. They were so helpful, along with Roger. Um, just talking with him, um, it, it just made me. Everyone made me feel welcome, and and I just, I just thought this is where I want to be. And it was so neat for me to see during the small group when Julie was starting to wrestle with that decision of baptism. They were there. And there was no judgment, there was no judging, there was nothing but support. We, we, we looked at scripture, we talked about it. Shortly after that, Roger did a message series on Galatians, and that's when you had that aha moment and, and said, I, I get it. Um, it was like flashing lights at me, you know, with Roger speaking, and they, it like talked, spoke, spoke to me in my heart, and I just thought, you know, I am, can accept I can accept Jesus into my life and it's just been absolutely unbelievable because I, I feel like in the morning I get up and I'm so thankful for living another day. Once Sully became baptized, um, I knew I was ready to become a member of, of Southwest Church. I no longer felt like I was on the outside looking in. Just the feeling of welcomeness that I have. Um, this experience, I think, has impacted our being, um, our sense of identity. It, it made our marriage more full and more fulfilled. And I think we now have the opportunity. We're not there yet, but I think we have the opportunity to, to live out that what we're talking about in the small group study, which is, is have that uh, a marriage that is, that is an abundant marriage, not just a marriage. I'm more calm. Um, I was just say to him, it's only a game. It's only a football game. It's only a wall. Why are you getting upset? Um, I just feel like I have that calmness with me. Final words on this, that if you're thinking about making a decision of, of, of faith, whether that be baptism or 
membership or becoming part of a small group. Um, I think we both believe this. The thing we would encourage the most is to, um, especially if you're contemplating baptism or membership, is take that discovery class. I guess I would end this by saying about small groups, um, small groups can change lives and hearts for God. I, I totally agree. I was encouraged by Tim and Julie sharing their lives and their faith with us. And I love hearing about people who are are making those faith decisions, whether it's baptism, membership, uh, being a part of a small group community. And by the way, it's not too late to connect. I had someone ask me after first hour, is it too late to get involved? No, not at all. We want to encourage you to get involved in a small group so you can experience that, that community life that is so important here at Southwest. But, you know, it's encouraging to hear those fresh new stories of how people's lives are being changed. But I also love hearing about how someone who's made a decision of faith maybe years ago and how it continues to impact them and how it continues to uh, transform them and sense of their identity. We see that in, you know, one of the people that answered that initial call from Jesus that we read earlier. Uh, There were two brothers, Andrew and Peter, that responded to that call. And then 30 years later, Peter, who we call him the Apostle Peter, he wrote a couple letters. One of them, the first letter he wrote, he describes his identity in Christ all these years. And he calls us to embrace this same identity. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there in your Bibles and follow along. As he reminds Jesus' followers of every generation, this is your identity. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're going to look at three identity markers that Peter lays out here and how that they, in so many ways, they they coincide with the head, heart, hands that we talked about earlier. The first is that of being a chosen people. Now, typically, when you think about being a chosen person or part of a chosen people, maybe there's not that sense of, well, how can I influence that? I'm either chosen or not. Maybe some of us think back to when we were in elementary school and we're waiting on the playground, waiting to see if whoever's the team captain will choose us to be a part of their kickball team. And maybe there's some apprehension waiting to be chosen. Or maybe some of us, you think of junior high or high school, and, and, and you're thinking, okay, is someone going to choose me to go to that, that special dance or that special activity. And, and so because of that, maybe th- this idea of being chosen isn't, isn't a first a positive thing. Or maybe as you consider history, you've asked yourself, why did God choose a particular people in history before Jesus came to the earth? You know, we read in the Bible how the, the Jewish people, the Israelites were the chosen people. And, and for those of you who maybe have Jewish heritage, you said, well, that's, that's cool. And, and But for those of you like me that don't have Jewish heritage, you think, well, what does that mean for my ancestors that lived back then? And, and, and can I still be a part? of those chosen 
people. And then as you consider different strands of theology, there are some people today who believe and put out there that there are only certain people that are chosen to be saved. Okay, this is a a school of thought that's really influenced by a guy named uh, John Calvin, who was a Protestant uh, reformer back in the 16th century. And I don't know, I I don't really buy into all of Calvin's positions. Possibly he's right, maybe I'm wrong. But my my take of God is, is a little bit different than the way Calvin described, because my view of God is that God is a God who loves everyone that he's created. In fact, the scripture said that, that God wants all people to be saved, that he wants no one to perish. And so the picture that I have of God is not that he just says only these people can be a part of my plan, but that as we sang earlier, that through the champion that's gone before us, Jesus Christ, he's opened up heaven for everyone, everyone who will choose to follow him. Now, some of you might still be wrestling, yeah, but there's this word predestined, and, and how do you make sense of that? Well, there's, there's a number of Bible verses that do use that word predestined, and I want to read one of those with you today. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, and, and in this passage, most translations, it actually uses the word predestined, and in the easy-to-read version that I introduced last week, uh, we're going to read from, it doesn't use that word, but it describes this thought of God's plan of of what he predestined. In Ephesians 1, verse 11, it says, in Christ, we were chosen to be God's people. God had already planned for us to be his people because that is what he wanted. And he is the one who makes everything agree with what he decides and wants. Skipping on a little bit later in that passage, it's the same with you. You heard the true message, the good news about the way God saves you. When you heard that good news, you believed in Christ. And in Christ, God put his special mark on you by giving you the Holy Spirit that he promised. The Spirit is the first payment that guarantees we will get all that God has for us. Then we will enjoy complete freedom as people who belong to him. The goal for all of us is the praise of God in all his glory. You see, I believe that in this passage, it says, yes, God has predestined a plan. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can all become part of his chosen people. This is the way I'd like to look at it, is that we can choose to be a part of the chosen, okay, by choosing to follow Jesus, that we can elect to be a part of the elect by saying that we're going to look to Jesus for our leadership, make that head decision. Peter puts it this way in the next verse of his first letter. He says in verse 10, once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, but now you've received God's mercy. You see, for the follower of Jesus Christ, it's God's predestined plan for us to have our basic primary identity that we are part of God's chosen people. That we're part of God's chosen people, not by race, but by grace. And through the grace of Jesus Christ. And because we have 
chosen to follow him and accept him as our Savior. I like the way the famous mathematician, you always need a math quote in every message, but a mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal put it, not only do we know God by Jesus Christ alone, but we know ourselves only by Jesus Christ. We know life and death only through Jesus Christ. Apart from Jesus Christ, we do not know what is our life, nor our death, nor God, nor ourselves. So you see, a practical application of what Pascal's saying here is that our basic identity needs to be wrapped up in who we know, and that's Jesus Christ, and that we are a part of his followers. You see, it's so easy for us to get our identity wrapped up in what we do. I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm an engineer, I'm an accountant. We tend to define ourselves by what we do. Maybe even our activities, our, our interests, our our hobbies, or maybe by where we go for vacation or where we go for relaxation or maybe where we go to college or where we went to college. We can tend to define ourselves by what we do and where we go, but God says there's a better way to have your sense of identity. It's who you're called to be. You and I are called to be followers of Jesus and that by being his follower, we become part of God's chosen people. The second identity marker listed in Peter's description is that we're called to be a royal priesthood. Now, in those two words, we see two very important aspects of our identity. The first word, royal, reminds us that Jesus invites us to become part of his kingdom. When you go back to the the very beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth, what was his initial message as he started teaching and preaching publicly? He said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus comes on the scene, he says, repent. Now, the word repent means to have a change of mind, a change of focus, a change of perspective. That's what it literally means. You see, it's so easy to go through life thinking that we're calling the shots, that we're in charge of our life, that we're kind of the king of our realm. And yet, Jesus calls us to change that perspective and to instead of viewing ourselves as the king, the leader of our life, to to recognize that we're called to be one of Jesus' followers, to allow him to be our king, our Lord. In fact, Jesus talked a lot about kingdom living, His very first, well, his his most famous sermon, I should say, is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives some very foundational teaching. In fact, this sermon begins to unpack with what we call the be attitudes. And Jesus calls us to be a certain way when we live in his kingdom. It begins in Matthew 5, verse 3, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, it's only when we come to that point that we recognize we need someone else to lead us besides just our own instinct and our own common sense that that's when we can see our need to be a part of something bigger and to embrace this kingdom ethic of living under Jesus' rule and under his reign. Is that how you describe your identity? that you're part of the kingdom of God, 
and that you're called to be a kingdom subject. You know, as we talk about kingdom, some people might say, well, that, that seems kind of restrictive. I actually think it's liberating to think, because you see, when in my life, what I discover is when I try to take charge of my life, when I try to take control, I inevitably mess it up. I find it liberating to realize I can follow a Lord who is good and who will lead me in a way that life is better. It's more abundant. You know, as we, another reason why I think it's important to embrace kingdom living in the kingdom of God and being a part of God's kingdom as our basic identity is that I think it's so easy for us to get our identity wrapped up in other things. I think in this country, if I could just be really frank, uh, you know, people can get their identity wrapped up. I'm from Indiana, okay, I'm a Hoosier, or I'm a boiler, I graduated from Purdue, or Ohio, a Buckeye. But I think a lot of us in America can get our identity wrapped up in that we are a citizen of the United States. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people in this country, even that claim to be Christians, would first embrace the identity that they're American. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. You see, I really believe it's got to be the other way around. That I'm a part of God's kingdom. I'm a follower of Jesus first and foremost, and I live in the United States, and I'm a citizen here. But my real citizenship is in heaven. You see, I think that's important. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I stand for the flag, and I, I get goosebumps when I watch a patriotic movie, and just like many of you, you know, I take, take a, a sense of pride that I've got relatives from both sides of the family that fought in the Revolutionary War. So, so you know, I, I'm grateful to grow up in this country. But honestly, when I listen to the news and when I take a look at our political climate right now, I'm thinking if my sole identity was being a citizen of the United States, I might feel kind of shaky right now. And I'm just, I'm just saying, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should pray about our upcoming election. I think we should participate in the process. But I want you to know that my identity is not with any political party. It's not with even being a citizen of this country. My basic identity is that I am called to be a part of God's kingdom. And because of that, I can have a sense of peace and security even when things around me look messy. And when the future seems a little bit unclear, and I don't even know what this is going to look like in the future, here's the good news. If you're part of God's kingdom, you can have peace. Listen to how the Hebrew writer says, since we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Is that where your identity is in the kingdom of God? The second word of this identity marker might be surprising to some of you. Peter says he calls every Christian a part of the royal priesthood. Now, some of you thought, okay, I thought you had to go to seminary or you had to be a part of a particular church to be a priest. In fact, in the, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came on the scene, you had to be born in a particular tribe or you had to even be born in a specific family to be a priest. 
But Peter's saying here that every follower is called to be a priest. This is an understanding that's sometimes described as the priesthood of all believers. You see, before Jesus came to the earth, you had to go through a priest to approach God. But now that Jesus has come and he is our high priest, he's opened a way to heaven so that all of us are called to be priests and we can directly approach God through our high priest, Jesus Christ. And then we have a role here on earth. Listen to how Peter describes it in 1 Peter 2, verse 5. He says, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. If you're a Christian, you're a priest. You maybe didn't know that. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Unfortunately, in my opinion, some have missed this beautiful description of the community of faith that followed Jesus the church as being a spiritual temple that each one of us that are part of it are a living stone. You know, Peter was called by Jesus rock or stone, but, but Peter says all of us are called to be living stones to help build up God's kingdom work on earth and life of the church and to and to uphold the banner of Jesus Christ. Later in 1 Peter, he writes, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Next week, we're going to talk more practically of how can we share our faith in Christ with others so that others will become disciples followers of Jesus as well. But this week, we want to talk about what does it mean to be a part of the royal priesthood? What does it mean practically for those that worship here and are members here at Southwest or even considering becoming a member or just say, I want to find out more about this church? What does it mean for us to be royal priests? Well, first of all, it means that we're not called to be spectators in times of worship but we're called to be participants. That we're called to join in in times of singing, in times of sharing, in times of giving, in times of serving. It means that we're to be constantly aware that in our gatherings, there are people here for the new first time that maybe are seeking God for the first time in their life or the first time in a long time. You know, last week, this was really brought home to me in a very very painful way. After, after one of the Sunday worship gatherings last weekend, I had a lady come and meet me at the front door, and I, and I try to meet as many people as I can. If I haven't met you yet, I want to meet you. And, uh, and, and she came up to me, and she said, uh, I've been here five times, and I, I, I wanted to introduce myself to you. I said, great. I said, I haven't met you yet. And we started talking. She said, I've loved worshiping here. But she said, you know, in my five times here, I've had one person reach out to me. And she said, I want to keep worshiping here, but I I want more of a connection. And I thought, okay, we've got to remind the church that we're all called to be priests, holding up the banner of Christ for others. So here's my practical challenge for you. And I know some of you are introverts and you, know, you want to sneak in and get to a seat, sneak out. And, and, uh, and maybe your idea of a good worship is just to be caught up with worshiping God and maybe not interacting with people. But see, we're called to share with one another. 
And we have to remember there's others that are seeking God for the first time around us. So, so I thought, wouldn't it be a great challenge if everybody that worships here says, okay, every weekend I wanna meet at least one new person. Maybe they've been here for years, but I've never met them. And just go up and introduce yourself or, hey, I, I'd like to meet you. Wouldn't it be great? Now, if you're an extrovert and you say, one person new, that's a piece of cake. Well, then maybe you meet four or five, okay? But let's all do our part to, to create this experience that we are in this together. A second aspect of being a royal priest that I wanted to hold out for you this week is that a very simple way to break this down, this is very simplified, but in the Old Testament portion of the Bible before Jesus came on earth, if you want to break it down real simple, the prophets took the name of God and took it to the people. The priests took the names of the people and took them to God. A part of being a royal priesthood means that we're invited into this process of not just praying to God directly for our lives, but praying directly, interceding for others. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about our mission. I shared that I believe every follower of Jesus should have two or three people on their prayer list every week that they're praying for, every day. Dear Lord, be with this person. Right now, they're living far away from you. They're ignoring you. They're not going to church. They're not reading the Bible. I would love for them to be a follower of Jesus. Who are you praying for? Do you have those two or three people on your list? If not, I want to encourage you. Embrace this idea of being a royal priesthood. Is it someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family, someone in your work? And then pray, God, use me. Maybe something I say, something I do to be a witness to them of your goodness and your greatness. Finally, Peter describes our third identity marker is that we're called to be in the church a holy nation. Now, some might push back from this initially thinking, well, I don't know if I want to call myself holy. I don't want to come across holier than thou. Well, here's the deal. The way Peter describes what it means to be a holy nation is not necessarily on whether or not our behavior is perfect, although we want to get our behavior in line with who we're called to be. But it's who we belong to. That's how we can be set apart and be called holy. Another early church leader in the first century was a guy named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. And he wrote to a bunch of churches. He helped plant churches. One of the churches he wrote to, a church in Corinth, I mean, it was messed up. If, if you ever want to feel good about yourself or feel good about our church, read 1 Corinthians and you'll say, man, they had a lot of problems. They had people in the church suing other people in the church. They had, they had uh, rampant immorality going on in the church. They, they had uh, uh, disturbances in their worship gatherings. It was just chaos. And yet, when all the problems, in fact, there's 16 chapters that Peter, I mean, Paul had a lot of things to address with this church. But when he began the letter, I want you to listen how he describes them. In 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to God's church in Corinth, you who have been made holy, you've been made holy because you belong to Christ Jesus. You were chosen to be God's holy people, together with all people everywhere who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. 
Paul writes this troubled church. He says, I want to begin by letting you know you're holy. Why? Did they have some behavior issues? Yeah. But he says, you're holy because of who you belong to. We began today with a baseball analogy about finding our sweet spot, and I wanted to close with a baseball analogy. One of my prized possessions, I don't have a lot of memorabilia, but I have a baseball that's signed by Pete Rose. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know about Pete Rose. I know he's got some issues, but when I was a little kid, he was a hero for me in playing baseball the way he hustled. And so somebody gave this ball to me, and I I was just curious. I looked up online, and and I thought, what would this baseball be worth? And I found it's worth about $100, believe it or not. Okay, it's been sitting on my mantle there, and I'm, I'm kind of glad I had that. But why is this baseball worth $100? It's because whose signature says it belongs to? I've got a baseball here. Seems like a nice baseball. I could sign it for you, but you know what? I don't think you'd get anything for it. Why? Because the name that belongs to me doesn't speak the same as the name that belongs to Pete Rose. I was curious. I got on this kick looking up memorabilia, and I found uh, for about 20 more dollars in this baseball, you can get this one, where Pete says, I'm sorry, I bet on baseball. Okay, he's even cashing in on that. But then I found this ball. It's worth $1,600 online. Why? Because it belongs to the hit king. 4,256 hits, the most hits ever in Major League Baseball. And you might say, you know, that, that's $1,600. That's what that is priced at. You might say, well, I wouldn't pay that much for it. But here's the deal. It can be listed at that value. Why? Because somebody is willing to pay that much for it. Some of us might feel and relate to Tim Grimes in his video testimony when he said, I didn't feel worthy to belong to any church. Maybe some of us look back at our behavior earlier in life or maybe even recently and we think, I don't know if I'm worthy to be a part of God's kingdom, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. I mean, I don't feel that holy. Here's the deal. Someone thinks you're worth that. You see, an item's only worth what somebody's willing to pay for. Listen to what God was willing to pay for you. A little bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes, you should know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you've received from God and that lives in you. You don't own yourselves. God paid a very high price to make you his. So honor God with your body. The creator of the universe has declared that you and I are invited to be holy, set apart. And he was willing to pay the price of sending his son, the ultimate price, to die for each and every one of us. How much are you worth in God's sight? You're worth the gift of his son. How much are you worth in Jesus' sight? His life, his death, his blood.
That means if we choose to be a part of the chosen, if we accept this call to be part of the royal priesthood, that he declares us holy. He makes us holy in Christ through the blood of Christ. Let's be a people that represent the calling, the rich calling we've received. And as we close with a time of communion, think about how how costly it was for Jesus to buy us back from sin and to give us new life so that we could be a part of his kingdom, so that we could represent him as royal priests to others and that we can be declared holy. Let's have hearts filled with gratitude for what Christ has done. And let's examine our lives and say, am I living a life that's consistent with that calling, with that identity? And let's be determined this week to be the type of person that represents our calling. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for your incredible plan that you predestined in Christ, that we could all be a part of your chosen people, that we could represent you to others, and that we could truly be made holy. But help us remember that that all came with a price. And as we take communion today, help us remember the price that Jesus paid for our sins and to redeem us so that we could be your people. Fill our hearts with gratitude at this time and give us a resolve to be different this week. It's in Jesus we pray.